Hi everybody, Jed Ayers here. Welcome to another edition of The Attic. As you may know, it was an attic in Bremen, Germany, this one in fact, where iGel got its start over 20 years ago. A whole host of tech companies got their start in humble beginnings. Facebook and Dell in dorm rooms, HP and Amazon got their start in garages, and at iGel, it was in an attic. Today, uh, we have a very exciting guest joining us, uh, a luminary in the end user compute space, somebody that you all know and love very much, Tyler Rohr, otherwise known as T-Rex, the co-founder of Liquidware. Tyler has been called a serial entrepreneur and he's helped create a number of very successful end user compute companies, including Fotis, which he sold to VMware in 2008. And then he started uh, a company called Liquidware, which many of you may know. And that's a very fast growing end user compute company that's still around today, very relevant and helping drive the desktop experience across both physical, virtual and cloud delivered desktops. Tyler is now calling this space the adaptive workspace management solution. But of course, Tyler's story is much bigger than you know, EUC and technology, and that's what we're excited to bring to bear today. We're gonna to talk about his origin story, his leadership style, and uh, a whole lot more. So please join me in welcoming T-Rex, Tyler Rohr, to The Attic. Well, Tyler, welcome to The Attic. It's awesome to have you here today. Thank you so much. We're looking forward to a great conversation with you. Well, it's great to be here. It's the first day of spring, or at least it feels like it here in Maine. You know, we're a four-hour walk from Canada, and the snow's melted, so let's get going. All right. Well, we all could get out and use a little bit more sunshine and walking. Well, uh, it, we're here on the attic, and of course, uh, we do like to talk a little tech, but let's start with how the heck did you get the name T-Rex? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so this is uh, often talked about but rarely documented, uh, like most dinosaur sightings, right? So um, like all good nicknames, it was this one at least was given to me by my daughter. And that uh, was given to me about 12, 13 years ago now. And she was about 12 at the time. And it was about the time that 12-year-olds start asking for cell phones. So she said, Dad. Oh, it's much earlier now, actually. They, it's, you know, like five or six. I think you're right. I saw a memo come through on Twitter about that. So I said, no, I've seen Dateline NBC. You can't get a cell phone. It's dangerous. She said, you're so stingy. You're like a T-Rex. And of course, this was all over email because we didn't talk in those days, at least not uh, too much. I said, what does that mean? She said, well, you're all mouth and your arms are too short to reach your wallet. You're stingy, dad. You know, and so from that time, I've never had to pick up a check. Um, and uh, I guess I'm somewhat fearful, you know, because of this Dick Dave uh, you know, T-Rex. No, it, it all, it's, it's been a great, uh, you know, moniker to, to hang around uh, my neck. And uh, if it helps people remember a, a short, bald guy, I'm all for it. That's awesome. Well, she, maybe she should go into marketing if she can brand her father. That's excellent. Neurosurgery. So, but marketing's her second choice. <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, what we love to do on the show is learn a little bit about your origin. Like, where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, your parents and your family. My, uh, Father was in the Marine Corps down in Quantico, Virginia, and then went to business school. And his first job when he got his MBA from Wharton was to go work for 3M on the Velcro team. Of course, they didn't oh, wow. call it Velcro. They called it random headlock fasteners. And it was way up in sunny Minnesota. Um, so I was born in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and it got a little bit cold that first winter. And so he picked up stakes and moved us out to Maine. So I'm born in Minnesota, raised in Maine, and really just been a seacoast guy at heart. I, I love the ocean. I love the mountains. Um, we have four 
well, for defined seasons, but what it really is, is 12 or 11 months of mud and then July. <laughs> and so you still live in Maine uh, to this day. I do, you know, and you tell people you're from Maine. And so they kind of look at your cross side, like, you know, you must work at LL Bean or be a lobsterman, but it's about 45 minutes north of Boston, uh, Massachusetts. So there's civilization, there's broadband internet, um, you know, and a whole other a bunch of activists, but it's, it's been a great place to actually conduct business. And, you know, with everything being virtual in the, in the past year, you know, I found myself on more international calls. It probably was the same for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, tell me a little, sounds like entrepreneurship runs in the family. Tell me a little bit about, um, your, uh, I, I read your bio in terms of what you did before you got into tech. It sounds, uh, very similar to me. I grew up in a small seaside town on the other side of the, uh, the world, but it sounds like you, uh, you started your own business and I'd love to hear a little bit about your, uh, your early days before tech. I think it really comes down to, you know, I, I just naturally had a curiosity about the natural world and growing up, you know, in a seacoast or near the, the, um, the seashore certainly, you know, fuels that. And so that natural curiosity kind of gave way to, well, what's possible and, you know, what are the rules and, you know, who makes up the rules and, you know, if, if you get to make up your own rules, well, what would you make up? And so, you know, I think from a very early age, I had that kind of natural curiosity bred with kind of a natural obsession. I just, so growing up, you know, um, kind of going through uh, what's missing in my daily life and is there a way to solve that? There were some neat businesses that I started along the way, but it really wasn't until I got kind of into technology that you realize that's when, you know, really good ideas meet capital and meet leverage, you know, this lever that we all use called technology. And I mean, I just, I really can't imagine it playing out any other way, you know, but it, but it did start probably like you from those humble beginnings, you know. I, I, I you got to tell our audience about uh, your first business as a rickshaw. Uh, I mean, this just sounds like your ability to, uh, to engage with people, talk with people, your kind of entrepreneurial spirit. I can just only imagine you uh, biking people around. We almost went broke the first month, and I'm going to tell you why. So um, here I was as an 18 and a half year old entrepreneur hiring 20 and 21 and 22 year old, you know, um, workers to, to hire these bicycle rickshaws to take folks around this really interesting seaside town called Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is actually exploding. It's north of Boston. Yeah, I've been there. Postcard perfect. I love this place. And so the problem was that my guys would sit around on the bicycles, just chatting up girls and, you know, kind of having social talks. I said, I'm going to go broke. They're not driving anyone around. So I flipped the model. I said, you're now going to rent the bikes from me for 50 bucks a night. I don't care if you take anyone around or if you take everyone around, it's yours to keep. And immediately I had a stable income, was able to plan futures, you know, some marketing. Um, but no, it, it's just one of those original lessons learned. I think probably like you, I only learned from my mistakes. I hardly ever learned from my really good ideas, you know, so... Yeah. Um, Oh, no, man, it's a lesson well, learned. I, I saw that the rickshaw went to a trolley. So how did that happen? You eventually went, went to uh, fueled vehicles. Yeah. So, I mean, again, this is one of the benefits of living in a small northeastern town. I lived in a town called York, Maine. Portsmouth was uh, about eight miles away. And I had to drive through this other interesting area called the Kittery Outlet Malls, which at the time were just exploding with new retail outlets. So J. Crew, Brooks Brothers, Dance. Lululemon, I mean, you name it. Actually, I'm not even sure if Lulu was around then. Lulu might have come a little later, but, um, you know, the gap. And so I, I said, my gosh, there's people everywhere. They need someone to take people to all the doors of all the stores. And of course, you know, I remembered, well, gosh, these airport shuttle buses are kind of cool, but wouldn't a trolley be even neater? 
And so again, I took a little uh, page from San Francisco, you know, your, uh, your home uh, Bay area there. And, um, and it really, people just really gravitated to it. And that was a neat business to start. A lot of lessons learned there too. Tyler, obviously you had, it sounds like you had your ups and downs in high school and college, but you, you obviously had an entrepreneurial spirit. There was something inside of you that, you know, sort of thought you thought you could go create a business at a very young age. What was that? Well, I mean, I, there's a bunch of lessons that I learned in high school, but you know, I think probably the one that sticks with me was that all knowledge is provisional, meaning that, you know, when you really get down to it, no one's smarter than you are. And even if they are, so what, what good does it do you, you know? And so I, I think I took that natural curiosity and said, well, gosh, if there's going to be a set of rules and I'm able to contribute to them, you know, wouldn't this be a neat way to, to make a living? Um, you know, but it wasn't without, you know, some mistakes, you know, obviously you have to, to learn the, the structure and the rules in which you operate. So, you know, really with, with the segue from high school to college and having gone from detention to then being asked to take a little bit of a break, you know, I guess the, the instilling notion was anything's possible. And so, you know, go for it. Well, tell us about what is one of your biggest failures that you had? I'd love to hear that. Oh my gosh. Well, I had a, uh, a, a catastrophic home run, you know, off the wall failure in um, right after the, uh, the uh, successful divestiture of FOTUS to, to VMware. Um, I made the mistake of investing in a sports bar. It was actually a potential chain of sports bars. And I think anytime someone comes to you with a business model that involves cash, 20 year olds and alcohol, you should immediately thank them for their time and, and turn around and walk away. <laughs> I did not. Um, and so I found out real quick how to lose a few million dollars. But, you know, um, quite frankly, after you eat a couple slices of humble pie, you're a better entrepreneur on the other side. You um, have more latitude, you know, for, for other people's mistakes than I think I had in the past. And you're certainly more easy on yourself, you know, because, again, you know, um, how many nights can you stare at the ceiling going, how dumb can you be? So when we saw some of your uh, headshots and your body shots that we sent over, you know, glamour shots, you didn't look like a short ball guy. You looked like a real handsome guy, your dog and your truck and your uh, flannels. But I noticed you had, you, the, maybe it's your rebel side. You had a tattoo on your arm. I couldn't quite make out what that tattoo said, but I'm guessing knowing you, there was some good deep meaning behind it. Would you share with us what that was? Yeah, I'd love to. It's actually a tattoo that I, uh, designed my myself and it says ad astra per aspera which means to the stars through the thorns which loosely translated means if you want to get to the good stuff you got to go through the tough stuff um jen i got that tattoo after going through a pretty rough time after i lost a, a ton of money in that one venture um you know you, you carry a lot of that on your shoulders and so i decided you know part of me being a rebel and part of me wanting a tattoo um, it was a great message to have that reminds me every day that the only way out is to go straight through. Um, and I tell you what, there have been more times in life that maybe there have been some bump in the roads or a detour that I didn't see coming. And you look down and you tell yourself the only way out of this is to go straight through it. And um, I don't know, for me, you know, being a short, bald guy, it's, uh, it's nice to have a mantra you can uh, refer back to from time to time. Yeah, the instruction manual for life is right there on your arm. <laughs> I love it. I just wish I was taller. I'd have more room. <laughs> well, that's classic, Tyler. Thank you for sharing that. Well, one thing I've always appreciated about you is like your sort of uh, humor and humility, but I'd love for you to describe kind of your leadership style uh, for the audience. Hire smart people. Hire people that are truly smarter than you and let them be. 
I mean, that's the that's the magic formula. You hire people that are smarter than you, but then tell them that you're smarter than them. That never runs its course very well. So I would say from a management style, Jed, it's hire smart people, you know, empower and enable them to truly do what it is they do. Again, no one knows the rules. Everyone's got this intrinsic, I think, gene of curiosity and creativity. And I think a true leader unbridles that. It unleashes yeah. that. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Well, I always think back to like, where, where have I done my best work? And it's always around a, a manager or a leader who empowers you. It doesn't micromanage you, you know, helps you uh, conceptualize what an amazing you know, op opportunity you can chase after and then gives you the right tools and freedom to go do it. Right. That to me is uh, is usually how you, and if that works for me, I, I assume it works for other people. We've had, we have a lot of parallels in life. You uh, you started a trolley business. I started a wine tour business. I saw you had uh, uh, beach rentals and uh, you started with five hundred dollars and, and built up a, a big uh, vacation rental business. Uh, and I, I started a hotel in, in the, my little small seaside town. So I, I have to ask you because there was something that really struck me. At iGel, I talk about the three P's, people, product, plan. And, uh, you know, I always start with people because nothing great happens without people. And, you know, you got to have a good product and then you got to have a plan, sort of speaking to what we were just talking about uh, in terms of empowering people. But what struck me when I was watching some of your video was you have a three P's and it actually just is very similar to the iGel three P's. So I think about people, process and, and products, you know, I mean, for me, you know, that's kind of the, the encapsulation really. It's, it's each one is, is magic in and of itself, but if you can combine them, you know, and I think leverage them in a certain way, that's when you have a truly exceptional, you know, organization. So, I mean, clearly people, um, decency, creativity, curiosity. I mean, I mean, we could, we could go down these themes of like, give me your C's. Um, mm -hmm. You know, to me, compassion, you know, to me, those are the, the traits that I look for. Um, strangely, I don't look for pedigree. I don't look for resume, you know, at least in traditional sense. Um, and I think in a strange way, it's the obligation of leaders like you or, or perhaps myself to, to use our intuition and to, to read that candidate, to read that person and say, okay, now how do they fit into the next P, which might be the process. Um, I think every organization has a natural cadence, a natural heartbeat to it. And again, I think that people that fit into that cadence and that help drive that to, you know, whatever the vision is of the organization or the, the social goal or whatever the, the organization's, um, you know, mindset is or targets are. And then of course, products. I mean, this is where it gets super fun. Um, for me, when it's born out of customer feedback, it's almost hard to fail. Um, you know, if, if you're working with really cool people, solving big problems and using neat technology to do it, and then you're able to combine that with, you know, a roadmap and direction from your customers and stakeholders, oh, you know, um, just add capital and stir, um, you know, I mean, I wish it was that easy, but, you know, but, but I think those are just some of the themes, Jed, some of the guardrails that I like to, to operate within, but I mean, you, you, like everyone knows, sometimes you break your own rules. Sometimes you drive a little faster or slower. Um, and those are when you learn the lessons. Right. Well, I love the sort of rebellious side that, uh, that I see from T-Rex. And I, I have to ask you, because we saw it on your LinkedIn profile, you had uh, that you were a detention 101 and uh, I think a master Jedi. And then maybe there was something in there about getting kicked out of college for a year. So maybe you could talk to us about the, the rebel, the T-Rex rebel side. 
Well, I mean, the good news is that um, there's an old uh, Linux hacker named Richard Stallman. And oh, yeah. he, he actually used to say that hacking has a bad name. Hacking is actually playful cleverness. Playful cleverness. Nothing, nothing ill-advised about it. There's no malintent. It's just playful cleverness. Look what we can do. And so I guess I like to think of myself as a lifelong hacker. And so, I, you know, going through high school, uh, I probably pulled every prank that uh, a growing boy uh, should pull, at least in Southern Maine, which was probably a good thing. You know, and the same thing in, uh, in college. I mean, I got to this uh, brand new domain where there certainly aren't any rules. There certainly are a whole new uh, layers of, of curiosity that can be explored. And that's when playful cleverness, uh, you know, has its best chances of success, I guess. And to be frank, um, when I was asked to take a, a break from college, I wasn't actually kicked out of college. I was actually denied campus housing for a semester. So it was kind of their their uh, their loophole for, for making me take a little bit of a time out. And I went down to a neat business school called Babson. My roommate didn't show up and it was there that I actually started the trolley business. So. You know, never, uh, never look a, uh, you know, a bad decision or a, a bad luck um, in the eye. Yeah, exactly. Make the best out of it. Well, let's talk about how you pivoted into tech. So how, how did you go from uh, trolleys and bicycles and vacation rentals into the strange and dark arts of end user compute? But when I um, started that trolley shuttle bus business, I had uh, nothing to do in the winter time because it snows up here with the trolleys. So I sent them to Florida. I eventually sold them to the gentleman down in Florida, made a little bit of money and decided I'm going to be a stockbroker because that's what everyone does when they get a little bit of you know capital under their belt. So after two years of losing just about all of my money and half of my clients, one day an interesting gentleman came in. I said, what is it that you do? Uh, you've got you know, 20, 30-year-old employees coming in. They're depositing thousands of dollars every week. You're clearly doing well for yourselves. They're driving these there these cars called Volvo and Mercedes, a little different than the Fords we drove in Maine. And he said, well, I own a computer reseller. You should come work for me. I said, I couldn't sell used computers. He said, no, 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 no. That's not what a reseller does. And he explained distribution and the channel and manufacturers and how they orchestrated these solutions and brought them you know, to customers. And I said, all right, I'll try it. And so uh, I left uh, being a stockbroker and, and dove into, believe it or not, sales. You know, So my first job in technology was uh, was sales. I remember my pitch. I had the same pitch every day, Jed. And what was that? I would like to hear this. I said, you know, hello, uh, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. My name is Tyler Rohr. I'm calling from the company. It was called Green Pages. And the only promise I make is if you give me an opportunity to compete for your business, I'll try to earn it every day. And people used to call me the robot. But, you know, eventually, uh, after saying it enough times, people took a flyer and I ended up landing IBM Global Services as one of the largest customers. So. so this is another amazing parallel. I don't know if you knew this, but I started my career in uh, re the reseller space, also in sales and marketing. I think I did, I think I did read that about uh, about the same time. I don't want to yeah. age, we're both in our <clears throat> late 20s or exactly. early 30s. <laughs> That's great. So, so, so how did you end up from the green pages to starting Fotus? Because it was the time that, that, you know, it was orchestration and integration were the buzzwords you know, of the day. And uh, two or three peers came back from a trade show in California. They said, we just met this couple, Diane Green and Mendel, and they've got this company called VMware, and there's three salespeople and four other employees, and no one knows how to use it. We're going we're to teach the world how to use it. It's going to be great. You want to start a company? And it was literally that simple. And I said, okay. 
And um, at the time, you know, you brought up the rental business. I had some office space, um, a little bit of extra capital. And uh, so I invested in that company and they put me on the board. It was the first time being on a board. That was kind of cool. We ate pizza. I thought it was neat. We talked about tech, um, you know, and that little company Fotis really went on to become one of the, the core integrators for virtualization, both um, VMware, Virtual Iron, Hyper-V when it first came out. And the company was about 75% of all of the professional services for both VMware and EMC, of course, after the acquisition. And they uh, they finally made an acquisition to acquire the company. So um, I went to work for a neat guy named Jerry Chen. He coined the term VDI. It, uh, it was very interesting back in those days. So you eventually sold this company to VMware in 2008. I, I remember the dates, right? Right. That's right. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great transition and was able to, to kind of jump in. And it was right at the time that VMware acquired um, Propero, which later became Vue and Horizon and the end user computing uh, broker and Thinstall, um, which is now ThinApp, you know, which was really um, kind of the neat ancillary to, to AppV at the time. And so you were a big part of the desktop group uh, in sort of a several years that you were at VMware? You well, I mean, I'm not sure if I was a big back. part. I was, I was one of the first. So, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, um, tenure has its merits. But no, I went to work for a really interesting mentor, Jerry Chen. He's actually um, now at Greylock Partners, done some really interesting investments like Docker. And he was actually the one that coined the term VDI. So I remember getting there my first week. He's like, listen. We got this new term, it's VDI, virtual desktop infrastructure. What do you think? I mean, I just started. I, of course, I said it was awesome. And you said, well, you did, I bet you said it was, this could be the year of VDI after that, right? <laughs> VDI, 2008, this is it. <laughs> but, um, no, you and I have had fun over the millennia talking about what is it going to be the year of end user computing. And I, I have some thoughts on that as well. <clears throat> but no, it was an interesting time. I mean, the, the goal, Jed, was... Folks were so thrilled with the TCO and ROI of server virtualization, they wanted to see if desktop could deliver it as well. And so one of our original goals was trying to capture, you know, what are we doing and what are we saving? You know, what, what is it that we're actually delivering of high and sustainable and defensible value, you know, out to the customer? So it was a neat, neat time to be around. And, you know, here we are, what, 12 years later, I'm still, still, still trying to deliver that. So Tyler, let, you, you were at VMware for a couple of years and then you got the uh, entrepreneurial bug again and you uh, started Liquidware. So help us understand how did that happen? Well, I was out for about a year and a half um, out on the prairie, you know, telling the large stakeholders and partners and customers, you know, how to run Windows on a hypervisor and connect to it with a remote display protocol. And everyone said the same thing, which is it looks awesome on PowerPoint. How do we begin? So I kind of went back to the team and I said, listen, the technology is really enchanting. People get it, um, you know, stability wise, we've got some things to work on. You know, um, they all want to talk about users in India and executives on airplanes. I'm having to tell them that's not what VDI is good for at the time. It's, you know, land attached task workers. And, and we've got to have some tools to help them. They said, well, we're too busy building the tech. You go do it. So, I mean, it really was that simple. So with uh, kind of the full support of my old team, you know, I kind of uh, made some phone calls, got together with uh, Dave Benneman, you know, who was the founder of Vision Core, and that had been successfully sold to Quest Software, which then became part of Dell. And I said, I think there's an opportunity to start a software company in end user computing. I want to be relevant before, during, and after the projects kick off. And I think there's a number of things based on what I'm hearing that we can help organizations use to onboard, you know, and of course, like you, Jed, just a huge fan of the channel. And so the whole time I said, We've got to build this in such a way that the channel can consume it because they're also orchestrating 
you know, the client operating system on the edge, they're orchestrating the hypervisor, the storage, the applications. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really, I mean, in a nutshell, kind of what the, the first jumping off point was for Liquidware. Tyler, let's uh, like speak into the future. I know about a year ago, you and I did a great you know, uh, podcast around COVID and we all thought it was going to last maybe a few months. And here we are a year, year plus later. Tell me a little bit about how you survived it. You know, what does a day in uh, T-Rex look like today? I mean, I'd say first and foremost, I mean, we, I, I think all of us in tech or a number of us in technology realize how truly fortunate we are. I mean, you know, I've, I've got neighbors who are dentists, you know, who didn't see patients for the first seven months, you know, of COVID. And so I feel just incredibly fortunate that, you know, at least for me, normal life um, changed, but it continued, you know, at least uh, without some of the financial pressures of other folks. You know, um, I think that's another benefit of maybe being in technology, Jed. You know, I think also being in remote computing or distributed computing or uh, whatever we want to call this domain uh, that we that we find ourselves in. You know, I think we were really um, fortunate in terms of our ability to pick up the technology and run with it. So solutions like Zoom, solutions like, you know, virtual drives, virtual presence, solutions, collaborative solutions like Teams. You know, we were able to just kind of pick them up and go you know, with a very short runway. Um, that wasn't the case for a lot of the customers that we work with. So personally, I went from 60,000 miles on JetBlue and Mosaic status and kind of knowing every uh, airport, you know, hack and, uh, you know, parking shortcut. And I'm a, I'm a burrito guy. So you have to know where every good burrito is <laughs> in every major city. And, you know, if you quiz me on that, I've got, I've got an interesting one up here in Maine that no one's... Uh, you would never suspect good Mexican food anywhere on the East Coast. But if you can... Olas in Wells, Maine. You heard it here first. Don't sleep on it, folks. If you want to come to Maine and have a truly authentic uh, Mexican meal, it's Los Olos in Wells, Maine, or maybe Dos Amigos in Kittery, but between the two. Okay. Wow. I uh, I will try these. So uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, are you vaccinated? Are you going to start traveling again? Or how do you see the future looking for you? Yes, yes, yes. You know, for, for all of us, I think um, it'll start small. You know, what we're seeing right now are some of our, our team members are able to, you know, go out and have smaller social gatherings, you know, maybe, um, you know, d dinner um, type engagements or, or sport venues or some of the social things that we've seen. Um, I personally cannot wait, uh, you know, to get back out on the road and, and start seeing folks. Um, my first trip is actually I'm doing a road trip. So uh, take it a page. I, I, I've seen you post videos, too, about being on the road. So I'm going to do a road trip from Maine all the way down to Florida, um, some business in between. We do a lot in the federal government space. But then I'm actually going to see my sister um, down in uh, the Tampa kind of um, Sarasota region. So I'm excited about that. What about yourself? Yeah, so I just uh, signed up for my first trip to Texas uh, in the first part of May to a sporting event and a crawfish boil. So who's going to pass that up? No um, one. And Texas has actually been a really great state for iGel. We have a lot of the big hospitals in uh, Texas. And so I'll be going down to Houston to go to a Houston Astros game and a crawfish boil. Oh, my so, gosh. That sounds like fun. All right. Well, when you uh, when you rub it in uh, like that, you know, I'll have to invite you up here for, uh, for a little main uh, – You'll have a lobster bake and, and teach you about some of our culture as well. That sounds uh, great. Yeah, I would love to do that. So uh, I guess, you know, you're a very optimistic, high energy glass is always uh, half full with you. or I think it's actually overflowing with you. I, I like that about you. You have a, a very good energy. But tell me, what, what's your prediction for the, the, the 
pulling out of this and the great reset? Do you see us headed into the roaring 20s again? Or what's your thinking there? I think from an industry perspective, Jed, what we saw, at least historically over the past year, was, um, was a flinch and then a fast follow. What I mean by that is the, the original flinch that we saw were those companies that had embraced some of the technologies that you know our company, your company, um, our peers, you know, our alliance partners had been evangelizing. Um, they were able to very quickly and rapidly expand. So the good investments and decisions they made, they're able to kind of add you know, very quick, I don't want to say order of magnitude, but they were able to rapidly onboard users that kind of had their momentum. Others flinched in a different way. We ran out or they ran out to Best Buy and then figured out how to use laptops, you know, plus VPNs and realized this ain't it. You know, so what I think I'm seeing right now, really right now, are the sleeves are rolled up. People want to get get um, serious about re-architecting their flinches if it wasn't done correctly. And so I really think the next 18 months, Jed, are going to be a renaissance, a reimagining of end user computing. I think from the edge to the cloud, to the data center, that triangle is going to be figured out. I think that new solutions like some of the collaborative uh, solutions like Zoom or Teams will be, you know, again, integrated in new and exciting ways, um, you know, into those solutions. And then I guess, you know, not overstating my welcome from a big picture perspective, you know, I think I'm finally feeling the sigh of relief. You know, I think people are realizing that with the vaccination, you know, with the fact that most most people did their part, you know, in trying to keep us all safe and secure over this thing, um, that there is, you know, there is a normal. You know, it, it might be a slight um, variation. You know, what do they say? History doesn't always repeat itself, but it does echo, and sometimes it rhymes. <laughs> and so I think that's what we're looking for. You know, what what's going to echo? What's going to rhyme from the past? And what from the past are we going to just abandon altogether? Um, I'm not sure. Some of the you know, shoulder to shoulder activities might be a little fewer and far between. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think uh, this has definitely taken a toll on human beings. And I, uh, I know you're a very empathetic kind of leader. What do you see there in terms of how we, uh, you know, lift people up coming out of this and bring their spirits up and, you know, keep, keep the uh, Zoom fatigue and the sort of, uh, you know, the ability to wake up every day with a spring in our step to help our customers or what have you? How do you see that? Because it feels like there's a human component to this, right? As we pull ourselves out of this. Yeah, and there has to be. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, at least for the last few hundred years, you know, the, the, the model of the world has been, you know, accumulate, accumulate, you know, and I think I actually am seeing, and this is going to sound corny or tacky, I think that the new mantra moving forward might be appreciate, appreciate. And it sounds small. It sounds like a small difference, you know, the, the step from accumulation to appreciation, but that's certainly what I'm going to do more of, Jed. I mean, I'm 51 now, you know, and I think maybe one thing that COVID taught me was, you know, just like that, everything can change. It can change monumentally. And oh gosh, how lucky you are, you know, to have come out of it uh, how you are, um, but others weren't so fortunate. So to me, I think that's the, the little shift in mentality. I'm going to be, you know, trying at least as far as I can to appreciate more. I feel that too. Like people are just a little bit humbled and a lot of things we took for granted, you're going to have a level of gratitude and appreciation for the simplest things, right? Like a good burrito while you're on the road. <laughs> no, you can talk out in California. So the next time I get an invite, I, I know a couple of places that I might have to go check out. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the future. I mean, I know you wrote a blog uh, about a year ago or maybe a little over a year ago that got a lot of coverage. 
you know, that the, uh, the, the year of VDI is actually spelled WVD. And, uh, you know, I'd love to just sort of, you know, uh, hear your thoughts on where, the, you know, where is the uh, industry going and is COVID going to accelerate it? And where do, you, where do you see the adoption of this technology scaling out to? Because as you pointed out in the beginning, you know, the fun part of this stuff is when you, when you see, you know, t tens of thousands or in, in the case of some of your customers, I know hundreds of thousands of seats, right? So to me, that's, that, as, a, as a leader, you know, that's where I get excited when I can tell my kids, hey, they're using, you know, iGel, uh, you know, 50, 100,000 seats of it. You know, that's, that's uh, I called United the other day and I uh, was talking to the 1K line to make a, a, a reservation for my daughter to fly home. And uh, I had to tell the guy the name of the uh, address, right? And I said, you know, airs at iGel. And uh, next thing I knew, he said, oh, iGel. I'm typing your reservation in on an iGel device. So, you know, this was a great uh, moment for, for me to see, oh, wow, this industry is taking off, right? And some of the name recognition of, of the dark, you know, corners of, of this space, right? Companies like Liquidware or iGel, I think are becoming more prominent. So, you know, t talk to me about the year of VDI. For me, it really did start with, with um, Microsoft and RDMI WVD um, as kind of the, the tectonic shift that really, you know, kind of was the starting pistol. You know, for me, you know, it took Microsoft reimagining Windows and, and letting folks know that it was now completely fine to consume it in a new and reimagined way, you know, and to really think about it as being cloud centric. But there was a second part to that. And it was actually something that I heard Steve Jobs say back in 1997. I have a, a memory like an elephant sometimes. My, my wife says a belly like one too from time to time. But he said, the future is this. It's rich and robust local processing combined with what he called network services, which you and I would today call cloud services. And I think that's exactly what I, you and I find ourselves in the business of. I think of Agile as, you know, that rich and robust tactile edge meeting the potential of cloud services. You know, and mm -hmm. so for me, the year of the desktop probably isn't so much a, a, a virtual machine running on a hypervisor with a remote display protocol only. It's now that that really that mosaic of different solutions, which which have to come together to meet, you know, what I think we'll all agree is going to be some type of a hybrid workplace moving forward. I mean, we, we've got the scar tissue to, uh, to show for over the last decade. As you pointed out, this technology wasn't easy in the early days. So, uh, you know, I think that's probably part of the scaling out and up of this is simplifying the onboarding, simplifying the consumption of it so that it's consumer easy. Right. And I think that's really the next evolution here. Cool quote, which was build it big so they can buy it small. I like that. You know what I'm saying? Right. So somehow the infrastructure needs to be there so they can be consumed, you know, in a, in a more uh, agile way by customers. So you're spot on. Yeah. So uh, I guess I can't let you go without, you know, at least letting us know what, what's exciting at Liquidware right now. What's uh, what's getting you uh, up with a spring in your stuff? Oh, it's, uh, it's so much. I mean, I think it's all born out of the fact that, you know, we had these two very interesting flinches. We have both large enterprise customers. You mentioned healthcare. I mean, we are seeing unbelievable innovation in that space. And, and I'm just I'm proud to say that a number of those most successful engagements are shoulder to shoulder with IGEL. So for that, thank you. And, and thank you to your team. Um, thank you to your partners. You know, they've been just amazingly welcome, you know, to us at Liquidware as we've 
you know, said, hey, we've got some value to add in this conversation. Um, and really from that kind of before the assessment use case all the way through to, to onboarding and going to scale, you know, it's been wonderful. So I would answer your question by saying those large organizations that are adding scale, you know, are certainly fun to participate in. Um, the fast followers who are learning, you know, from uh, the architectures and the deployments and, and the engineers, you know, who have done the, uh, the initial work. But now I think what we're also focused on at Liquidware is what's next? Um, what do we focus on after and as large organizations, you know, begin to go to scale? And I think one of the, the interesting places that our, our focus goes to is how do we keep those users productive? You know, we've done a lot of work on the architecture, a lot of work on the infrastructures, um, a lot of work on building it large so they can, you know, buy it small. You know, now, now what? How do we make sure that those edge employees are, you know, hyper productive? And so, you know, with a billion folks now away from uh, their IT staff, that's a mountain of work. So I think we'll be busy for the next couple of years, uh, you know, focused on that. But I think we want to get into that actionable side of the business, Jed. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think the uh, end user experience and that unboxing for the guy, wherever he might be working, of this technology, it has to be beautiful and uh, it has to be agile, right? So as this technology evolves, as you pointed out, Zoom and Teams and WebEx, they're all iterating at a speed now because of the demand. And so being able to kind of keep in sync with that, the end user experience, as we know, they rise and fall on the, the, the whole success of these deployments, rise and fall on that, the, the um, experience that that end user has. And I think that's where your, your product and iGel's product you are super aimed at making sure that that experience is consistent and perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I've always just I've enjoyed hearing the stories of some of your large success deployments. And, you know, like you, it just it, it um, rattles the mind when you kind of drive by a billboard or a logo in a city. You're like, wow, 60,000 people in that office that are using an IGEL, you know, um, Edge OS and maybe Liquidware to, you know, help with their profiles or apps or user experience it. It, um, it's flattering and you want to do it again. So I guess that's uh, why we get up every morning, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the, uh, it's addictive. Well, I know uh, you, you are very visible in the end user compute community. Everyone knows T-Rex and it's a very tight knit, uh, you know, ecosystem, I would say, you know, and that's one of the uh, fun things about this space, right? You never burn a bridge. I think you and I competed against each other for a couple of years, but always in good spirit and, uh, you know, um, I guess I'll just close with just saying, hey, if, if there's anything you want to share with the uh, the end user compute community, we haven't been able to get together the way we normally had and you know shoulder up at, at Synergy or VMworld. So, you know, if there's anything you want to pass along to uh, all of the audience out there, we have a, a great following for the attic. So, I appreciate. It. I mean, what what a great venue. I mean, thank you so much for for inviting me. First and foremost, I mean, I saw that one of your guests. When I saw one of your guests was. Mark Templeton, I said, oh my, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to, you know, iron my sweater and, you know, uh, get out my best jokes. No, but it, but in all seriousness, um, I, I thank the community. I mean, really, my great ideas are nothing more than an amalgamation, a congregation, um, a cut and paste of all of your best ideas, really. I mean, I think that's how it all works, right? We, um, you, you combine your own intuition with lessons that both you learn and that others have taught you. And so I think that's one of the cool things, Jed, about end user computing is I jokingly say that we're all going to probably end up working with or for each other at least once. And every day we're all writing a, a page of the script. I mean, this is all being written in, in real time live. 
I mean, you know, the old 20, 25 years of Windows history, you know, got fairly static, but there's a ton of neat, fun stuff we can all hack, playful cleverness um, moving forward. And so I guess I would invite all of my peers out in the industry to, you know, let's keep up that spirit of playful cleverness. What can we solve? What can we share? What can you teach? What can you learn? Um, and with that, I miss y'all and I can't wait to see y'all real soon. Yeah, well, Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today. It, it was full of funny uh, stories and great jokes and uh, some wonderful insights. So thank you so much for coming on. We look forward to having you back on and uh, you know, catching up with where the industry is going and all the innovation that you're driving. And uh, until then, stay safe and uh, be well. Thank you, Jed. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you for stopping by The Attic. We're really excited about some of the upcoming guests, such as the industry godfather and iGel's new executive chairman, Bill Vecti. And there's a host of other influential leaders, lots of interesting perspectives coming soon on this video podcast. So please subscribe to the iGel YouTube channel and you'll get all the alerts about when the next episodes will drop. 